Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. Making our way verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, through the New Testament, we find ourselves the third chapter of the epistle of James. Put your finger there. I will eventually get there. Now, Father, as we make our way to our text this morning, may your Holy Spirit open the eyes of our understanding. We know, Father, that you ordain our footsteps. Uh, It's no accident that we are here. You are sovereignly at work to put us all here to hear what you have to say Not man's word or man's opinion, but the word of God. So speak to each heart as you have called them to receive a blessing here today. Help us not to miss it. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of very smart people out there who do a lot of very dumb things and create unnecessary suffering for themselves and others around them. No shortage of illustrations to draw from to prove that point. Well-paid, Ivy League, college-educated politicians who throw away positions of honor having to resign their careers because they get into trouble doing something stupid and unbecoming. Behavior that's more in line with a mixed-up 14-year-old than a well-educated man. Rich Hollywood stars caught shoplifting. Why? Gifted athletes and sports heroes who have gotten to where they're at because they obey the rules. I mean, that's what sports is all about. There are rules and protocols, and they keep them very well, and therefore they get to the top. And then just for a few simple ones they break, they lose everything. A man has a beautiful wife and great kids. A woman has a hard-working, faithful husband. They throw it all away for a senseless and meaningless fling. Behaving badly and making stupid mistakes is not for a lack of academic smarts, but it is for a lack of what the Bible calls wisdom. The wise person builds their house, but the foolish ones, by their own hands, tear their house down. It's because the wise person will build up, but the, the person who lacks biblical wisdom will, by their own doing, unravel their own lives. Now, wisdom, as we have seen before, 
is the ability to exercise good sense and good judgment in any and every situation. It's not enough to have knowledge. You must have wisdom to be able to use that knowledge correctly. And this is something that James is really going to hammer home. Warren Wiersbe said this, knowledge enables us to take things apart. Wisdom enables us to put things together to apply God's truth to daily life. And James is really going to elaborate on this very concept that wisdom isn't about being smart. It's about knowing how to use truth in a practical way in every situation to make your life work because that's what wisdom is all about. The Jewish concept of wisdom is behavioral. The Greek concept of what is wise is academic and intellectual. And I think our world today looks at a person as wise as somebody who's got a lot of smarts and a lot of knowledge and is good at something. The Bible's take on wisdom is far different The Bible says you are wise when you have a good life, when the life shows by your good example that you are smart from heaven's point of view. And so, you know, to call James really compromised believers back into reality, he pulls no punches and he's telling these compromised believers that he's writing to to wise up. I mean, literally, he's saying wisdom, God's wisdom will save you from the mess you're in. Stop doing things your own way, which has caused the trouble you're in, and start doing things God's way, which will rescue you, reconcile you, heal you with whatever's going on. The reason it's so hard to do things God's way and why I had so many examples to draw upon is because man's so-called wisdom comes natural. It's everywhere in the world, and it's the easy way. God's wisdom doesn't make sense to us. It's upside down, but it works. It works, and we're going to talk about that. Really, the Bible says the one who gets wisdom loves life. In Proverbs 19, verse 8, and James wants his uh, congregation who's scattered out throughout the Roman Empire, these Jewish believers, he wants them to love life and to do well and not to tear down their own Christian lives with their own hands because they're doing things the wrong way, the world's way. Okay, picking up at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So we're going to consider these few verses this morning. As I said, the congregations were a mess. People there were jockeying for position. They all wanted to be teachers. They wanted positions within the church. Uh, They were competing for positions of prominence. They were proud and sharp, and their uncontrolled tongues were causing division and causing great harm. And ironically, what's funny almost, is the biggest troublemakers of all were the ones who claimed to be wise. We're the smart ones. We know how the church should operate and run. They understood how others should live. They understood everybody's true motives. They knew what everybody's problems were. They knew better than everybody else, and they therefore wanted the positions on the platform or in the Sunday school or deacons or elders or or whatever. The truth is not just for those who wanted to be in leadership, but for anybody who uh, labeled themselves a Christian and thought of themselves in superior ways. That was the problem. So James is going to call them out. He's saying this. Despite how it may appear to you and others, you're really not the spiritual wise ones. God's wisdom is seen in a good life and a humble heart. Your pride, self-centeredness, and chaos that surrounds you proves that your smarts don't come from above, but from below. And so we'll make it easy on note-takers this morning. It's really two sections, really, of his thinking Wisdom from below and wisdom from above, number one and two. So number one, wisdom from below. So James is telling us that not all wisdom is created equal, that there are actually two versions, an earthly kind of smarts and a heavenly kind of smarts. Now, first of all, you've got to accept James' presupposition that there are two kinds of wisdom that emanate from two different realms. Now, somebody might say, well, wisdom is wisdom, right? Well, I was thinking about that, and I thought about, well, you could say drugs are drugs. But there is a category of pharmaceuticals that heals and rescues one from death and gives life. Ten years ago, in 2001, as most of you know, I was given a year to live if they could not stop the Hodgkin's lymphoma, which I had. Resistant strain, resisted chemotherapy, resisted radiation. I still had cancer at the end of all of that. And I had to undergo a bone marrow transplant stem cell rescue, which took 63 days in the hospital. But thanks to God and pharmaceuticals that he put here on this earth and gave the doctors skill and wisdom to use them effectively. Drugs are not just drugs. Not all drugs are created equal. The illicit drugs kill, addict, destroy. And so the same, really, my friend, with wisdom. You can say, well, that was smart. Well, it depends who you're talking about and what they're doing. God may look at it and say, not really. He's not really as smart as you think. And so James is really going to be talking about this here, that we have two kinds of wisdom. Isaiah 55, uh, the Lord speaking through Isaiah the prophet, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways mine. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, really, James is just echoing what the Lord has already told us, that God has a way that's worlds apart from the way we do things. And nowhere could we see that better illustrated that when, as when heaven came down and filled a human womb and became one of us. Jesus Christ was not merely a good man or a religious teacher. He was the second person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, came through Mary's womb. And as Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says that in Christ, the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form, which means in that human body was the fullness of God, period. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that Christ is the exact representation of his very being, the radiance of the glory of God through whom he through whom holds the whole world together. In other words, it's by his word that all things hold together. John chapter 14, Philip says, show us the Father God. That's what we need. And Jesus says, hello, haven't you realized that anybody, and I'm quoting Jesus Christ, anybody who has seen me has seen God the Father. I and the Father are one. Now we get to see the world of difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom by the way God behaved in a body. So the four Gospels will just show you, wow, his math is way different than our math. I mean, just the way he lived, just crazy things. We're into avenging ourselves. He doesn't open his mouth. He entrusts himself to the truth and, and to his father. We're into fighting fire with fire. We want to call down fire from heaven. He's into a gentle answer. We're into our rights. He's into laying down his rights. We're into getting. He's into giving. We're all about ourselves. He's all about others. We want to be exalted and served. He wants to be humble and to serve. We're told to be true to ourselves. He says, be true to your father. For when you are true to your father who made you in his image to do his will in obedience to the gospel and the word of God, then you are truest to yourself because that's the self he made you to be. But if you're telling me to be true to myself and myself is contrary to the way the one who created me designed me to be, well, then I am not being true to myself. I'm being dishonest to myself because I was created in the image of God to do God's will. Sorry, I had a little attitude there. <laughs> Somebody just mentioned that to me the other day, and it's still rattling around in my head. We need more. He's content with what he has. We love those who love us. He loved those who hates him. Where does it end? My ways are not your ways. And it is so jarring when the two cultures collide. You can really see it. I mean, people just take notice of it. Um, 
When I taught general education, which I did for 10 years at that vocational school, I like to reference uh, Christmas time. I've mentioned this before. Um, I just got all happy about Christmas coming, and I bought the teachers with whom I worked and taught with uh, Starbucks cards, and I handed them out. But I made a special effort at with a woman who uh, disliked me and Christianity and really went out of her way to give me a lot of grief for many years. And I, I saw her in the hallway and I said, hey, Merry Christmas. And she took it by just by habit, like I put it in front of her and she took it without thinking and she looked at it and I said, it's a Starbucks card. Get a couple of drinks on me. It was just like you're looking at me. It was like, What? And she asked me, after 10 seconds of the most awkward silence, (laughs) 10 seconds, and I was looking at her like, you will not defeat me. (laughs) That's what I was broadcasting through my eyes to the big smile. You're not going to win this. Merry Christmas. And she said, why are you doing this? And I said, well... Christ came at Christmas. God came down. He saved me. I'm happy about it. I want to spread the joy. And she's just staring at me. And she walked away, speechless, shaking her head. Why? That's not wise in the world. That's not what you tell people. You know, somebody's giving you a hard time at work. You know what? Go out and get them a present. Yeah, that's right under what? It's not in there. Why? Because that book comes from heaven. Love those who persecute you. Pray for them. Jesus said, you know what? Where's the difference between my people and the people of the world? The pagans love those who love them. They give gifts to those who give gifts to them. He says, where's the difference? But wow, when somebody's uh, insulting you and you do something good to them and back, everybody goes, why'd you do that? That doesn't make sense down here. Are you from another place? We'll kill you. (laughs) I mean, that's usually the next thing that comes out of their mouths. And so, you know, that's just what James is saying. There's two kinds. And, you know, I love what Spurgeon said about that. Your ways are not my ways and my ways are not your ways. Spurgeon said, it may sound like the Lord is discouraging us from ever knowing his eternal ways, but just the opposite. He wants us to recognize how vast our differences are in our thinking and humbly seek him to incorporate his ways For he says right before he says, my ways are not your ways, he says, seek the Lord while they may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so the crazy thing is James already said, look, do you lack wisdom? Is your life kind of hard right now? Why don't you just pray to God? He will give you wisdom without finding fault with you. And we talked about that in chapter one, where he said, I won't make you qualify. Just ask me. Well, it's the same old thing I've been asking for. I won't find fault. I'll just give it to you for asking. Just ask me. That's what meaning, that's what it means when it says, God gives you wisdom without finding fault. He's not going to say, well, are you going to do it right this time if I give it to you? (laughs) 
That's the way the world works. God says, look, you're in a jam. You're frustrated. You're feeling the effects of your own bad behavior. Pray to me. Ask me for wisdom, and I will give you the resolve to this. Free of charge. Ask, he says. And so, though James' Christian friends here uh, may have come to know the Lord, they're still doing things according to their own understanding and not God's wisdom. So here's what James' strategy is. He's not interested in what they say or how they claim to be so smart, but how they live. Don't tell me how smart you are. Show me by your life how you live. So now James is going to define what kinds of behavior proves that you're smart by God's standards or dumb by heaven's measure. So, you know, interestingly, if James was living today, you know what state he would choose to live in? I believe Missouri, the show me state. All right. Now, let me explain why. You know why it's called the show me state? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) Congressman Van Devere in 1899 gave a speech at a naval banquet in Philadelphia. And in that speech, he said, I come from a practical state. We raise corn and cotton and work hard. And your empty talk neither convinces nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri. You have to show me now. He'd keep saying, I'm from Missouri, over and over again, and the whole place would bellow back, we know, we have to show you. And so James is saying, look, you call yourself a Christian, and you say whatever you want, whenever you want to say it. He says, your Christianity is worthless. James chapter 1. He says, don't tell me you're a Christian. Don't show it to me on your T-shirt and your bumper stickers and your big fat Bible study book. I was trying to think of a version to pick on there, but I thought, whoa, better leave that out. (laughs) Don't tell me that way. Show me you're a Christian. Let your life proclaim what you believe because, James says, it's actually, in reality, it isn't left to your words. It's left to your life. We will all know if you're really a Christian by how you live. And uh, that's how he is. And so he says... It's the same with wisdom. If you claim to be wise, then please don't tell us, let's check out your life. Let's go into your home. Is there peace there? Let's follow you to work. Let's see how you work and get along with people. Let's see how things are unfolding for you. Then we'll call you wise by your behavior, not by your proclamation. And so here's the paraphrase of the opening thought. Okay, you so-called wise ones, please step forward, but don't tell us how smart you are. Show us how wise you are by your noble and beautiful life. Give us some examples of good deeds done humbly. So it's really crazy to me that the Bible's take on wisdom has nothing to do with academic or social acuity or IQ. That, that is amazing to me. That the Bible says you can be the wisest person on earth and has nothing to do with academics or brain power or how well you did in school. Zero. The Bible says wisdom or heavenly wisdom doesn't work that way. 
it's first demonstrated by a noble, beautiful life. So the ability to translate God's truth into your daily life, to, to know when to hold your tongue and when to speak, to have patience, how to control yourself, how to resist temptation, how to diffuse tense situations, how to make a di- difficult relationship work, how to love people who are difficult. Let us check those areas, not your brain power, not your ability with math and science, but let's check how you are doing with a difficult person. Let's check you out when you're tempted to do the wrong thing. We'll see if you're wise or not. That means anybody in this room can be wise from heaven's standards. Every single person. And so he says, let's check your life out. And then the second thing he says, show me some gentleness, some humility, some kindness. Now, there's this unassuming quality called meekness. He says right from the jump, if you're wise, you're going to have that. And he's already really implying that they're arrogant and harsh. They are not meek people. And meek was considered back in that day weak. Jesus says the meek, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. They will be the overcomers at the end of the world. Through Armageddon, through the great tribulation, it will be the meek, not the arrogant, self-determined folks with the aggressiveness. He says it's the meek. Why? Because it's this controlled, humble strength that lets God do his work. It's not you busting your path. It's about you relaxing and cooperating with God as he goes before you and makes the way. And in your weakness, you are strong. But humility is the first step. And here are all these would-be teachers fighting for a chance to be on the platform or teach a class. And, and, and James is saying, you're arrogant. Show your humility. Show some, some, some sense of uh, humbleness. And so Proverbs 1, seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And then Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. That's Proverbs 26, 12. So the first order of business, if, if you're going to not be a... Uh, If you're going to have heavenly wisdom, the first order is humility and meekness and gentleness. This this understanding of how great God is and how insignificant and weak we are. It just makes somebody humble. True wisdom will reveal God's greatness and God's worthiness and my insignificance and my unworthiness. True wisdom reveals God's holiness and moral purity and my wretchedness. True wisdom reveals God's standards and our inability and our sinfulness. True wisdom reveals God's justice and our well-deserved condemnation to hell. How can anybody who escapes the flames of hell by the good grace of God only, how can you ever have a proud cell in your body? 
When everything that you have comes from God, and every skill and every ability and every blessing and every dollar and every good thing is all by God's hand and what you truly, where you were truly headed for, without the intervention of God's good grace and mercy to you was eternal judgment and shame. But because of the grace of God, he saved you not because of any righteous thing that you did, but because of his mercy. How then can any one of us, no matter what the form of the gift takes, have a single cell of pride? So he says the beginning of wisdom, if you get anything at all, the whole beginning of it is to know how great he is and how humbly, humbly you should live your life in humble servitude, in gratitude. And so... Now he goes on, and I love what he says. He's going to call him on the carpet now. And he says, if you're the ones that we're talking about, and you lack God's wisdom, and you think you're all that, with that me-first attitude of yours, highly critical of everybody else, two things he says in your text. He says, A, don't deny it, and B, don't boast. Don't arrogantly defend yourself. Now, As a pastor, I really resonate with his advice here to them. He says, if you know I'm talking about you, could you do two things for me? Number one, please don't deny it. Why would you deny something if you feel a tug on your heart and the person isn't crazy and the person is coming in humble love to you in gentleness and saying, have you considered this? Because you've got a problem here. He says, don't deny it. Don't just close the gate on your healing, your Christian growth, your maturity. That's what our tendency to do is he'll go to them and they'll go, uh-uh, uh-uh. And he says, your uh-uh is going to cease and stop your Christian growth and your maturity. Defensiveness, just to say, no, uh-uh, I'm not like that. You got me wrong. I would never be like that. That's not who I really am. Ask so-and-so. He says, stop denying it. Or you're going to go around and around and around over and over again. So he says, if you're like this, don't deny it. Now, if your mechanic says, listen, I checked your engine. you got a leak. You better fix it. And you go, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I looked under there. I didn't see anything. You just want to make some money, Right? Okay, and then your doctor says, you know what? I listened to your heart, and I heard a little, like a little murmur. I think you need to get that checked. No, uh It's beating fine right here. <laughs> James says, if I tell you that you've got a problem with pride and being critical and thinking you're all that when you're really not because he's all of that and you need to get in line, stop saying no, uh Number two, he says, don't boast about it. Now, what does he mean by that? As a pastor, I can tell you exactly what that means. When someone gets called on the carpet for wagging their tongue and with their superior knowledge and causing harm and problems and division and offense in the church, either they will deny it or they will say, I did it out of the love in my heart. For not only God's people, but for the word. All right? (laughs) Well, that was a little close to home there. (laughs) 
And, you know, if you think I'm as stupid, really, to mention something that, from one of you, that is crazy. A pastor should be fired for doing something like that. You don't call people out and embarrass them. So whenever I'm speaking, you know, I always have people email me, are you talking about me? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the guy next to you. <laughs> if, and this is a pastor's conversation. I've had this conversation of sorts with pastors. The biggest troublemakers in the church will say, the reason I'm doing this is for my love for sound doctrine and for the glory of God. I have a zeal for it. I've always had it. And you just want to say, of course you do. <laughs> you know what? If you were wise, you wouldn't leave a wake of hurting people, chaos, unrest, confusion, and division. That's not wisdom from heaven. That's your self-imposed label that I'm pretty smart and I have this love for the truth. And let me tell you how it ought to be. James says, you, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. And so he moves on. This kind of wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It comes from below. And here's what James says. Paraphrase, this kind of thing doesn't come from God, you know, but from the other guy. This is how the God-rejecting world thinks. It's unspiritual and inspired by the devil himself. And remember, wherever this kind of thing is, jealousy and a me-first attitude, you will find chaos and every imaginable evil thing. And so, walking through the, the verse, we find, find out now that he says that uh, worldly wisdom lacks a noble life. It's short on humility. It doesn't do gentle and meek. It's all about me and uh, envy and jealousy and always looking for prominence. And now he says, you, you do realize the source of all of that. And he gives the diabolic bloodline for false uh, wisdom. First, he says, that kind of stuff that you're running around peddling, that number one, that's earthly. He means it comes from the world. It may be, that's maybe how it goes on General Hospital or One, one Life to Live or uh, Glee <laughs> or Friends, which is a blasphemous show that I've watched 30 seconds of in my life. It's blasphemous. Some of these sitcoms, that's what he's talking about. You want to know the wisdom of the world, watch a sitcom or a soap opera, then you'll get the wisdom of the world, or tune into Oprah. But unfortunately, you can't do that anymore. But she did buy an entire network. So, moving on. I'm not... Oh. Okay, I'm going on. But there is a lot of wisdom from the world that emanates from the world. He says, watch out for that. And then he calls it unspiritual. The Greek word is soukakos, where we get our word psyche, he's saying that it's the natural, unregenerated man's wisdom without the Holy Spirit's influence. 
So it's that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says the natural person without the Holy Spirit does not understand the things that come from the Lord but considers them foolish. Natural men and women without God's Spirit in them can't understand these things because they are discerned only through having the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So he's saying... This kind of wisdom comes from somebody who's not regenerated. They're just fallen. They're broken. They're sinful human beings. And this is the best they're doing. This, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's what he's saying. The natural man has a wisdom, but it's not plugged in because he's disconnected from God. You cannot find heavenly wisdom until you're connected to the one from heaven, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you open your heart. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Spirit of Christ comes into you. Now you are capable of being more than flesh and blood Now you are regenerated, you're born from above, you're born uh, again, and now you have access to that kind of wisdom. The last thing he says, just awful, he says, and it all gets its start, of course, from the devil. You do remember when the Lord said to Adam and Eve, don't go near this one tree, you can have all the trees you want, but just this one, stay away from, do not eat. And then the serpent says, you will not surely die, the serpent tells Eve, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. You see, there's an attractive thing that the devil says, I have a wisdom. I have a wisdom. And he's been pawning his wisdom off on the world ever since he pawned it off to our mother, Eve. So you have to be careful. His closing shot there, he says, where you have jealousy and envy and that me first kind of attitude, you'll be sure to find chaos and everything evil you can imagine. Well, chaos, why? Because when you live a me-first life where you're all about yourself, that's not the way God designed life to go. And so there's always going to be chaos because you're living counter, listen, you're living counter to the way God designed your life to go. The way he designed it to go is your submission to God and God leads. But if you're not submitted to God and you're calling the shots, of course, he says, you're going to have chaos everywhere. Because you're not doing it the way it was designed to work. You can use a hammer or a screwdriver or a knife to illustrate this point. Try doing it something stupid with those things. It won't work. It won't facilitate your purpose. And you'll destroy the tool. You have to use it the way it was invented to be used and designed to be used. So that, in that regard, he's saying, do you want peace in your life? You'll have to do it God's way. That will bring peace because it's the design. You're designed to plug into God and obey his rules and follow him and you'll be blessed. The other thing just will spin your head. If you think about one verse, he says, where where you have selfish ambition, there you will find every evil thing. Where you have one thing, self that says me first and I'm all that. 
you will find in that life every evil thing. Why? That makes perfect sense to me. You can find murder there. You can find rape there. You can find drunk and high there. You can find anything evil. Imagine anything. You can find it in a me first kind of attitude. Why? Because me first. At the disregard of God, his word, his will, my conscience, and you. It's me first. That's why James says, watch out for a me-centered life. Because you will find chaos and every form of potential evil is possible with a person who's running around when it's all about me. I've run out of time, but there's a closing thought here. Heavenly wisdom. In the little time that we have left, then let's conclude with James. Uh, with James, as he just two little verses here. Let me paraphrase. I'll make a couple comments. We'll be done. Here's the paraphrase. So about heavenly wisdom. But check out the wisdom that comes from heaven. First of all, it's clean. It loves when people get along. It's sensitive. It's flexible and open to reason. It's big on mercy and good deeds. It doesn't play favorites and it's not fake. It's genuine from the heart, the real deal. These kinds of wise people with their peace-loving ways create an environment where good things are always springing up all over the place. And now we're done. Well, there are seven things he says that true heavenly wisdom is, but let's just pull a few of them out. All right. Number one, he says, if you think that you're wise, number one, a wise person lives clean. They have a clean conscience, a clean heart, clean lips, a clean life. You come up out of the baptism waters for a reason. Washed clean. That's the symbol there. So a wise life lays aside sensuality, pride, all forms of defilement because it's unwise. Remember I told you about the profane therapist my friend went to for his struggle with pornography, wisdom of the world. He goes and he sits down and he says, I'm struggling with guilt and shame. I'm wrecking my entire life because of pornography. And the therapist said, as you recall, well, what's wrong with pornography? He said, it's just biology. Why don't you change the way you think about pornography and make it uh, less severe of something wrong and just see it for what it is? It's just an image in two people and it's biology. Come on. Therefore, you won't feel so condemned and so guilty all the time and so fearful. Just change the moral essence of the thing. Redefine it so that you can live better with it. That person has the world's wisdom as opposed to the clean wisdom that comes from heaven. Another thing I point out to you, a wise person is peace loving. The word in the Greek is a peaceful person. When we come to know Christ, we're filled with his peace. A peace that doesn't make sense sometimes. And we walk around with that peace and that peace emanates from our lives. And, and when we walk into a situation, we want people in wisdom to sense that same peace and to have that same peace. Romans 14 says, let us therefore make every effort 
to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Luther tells a story about two goats that met upon a narrow bridge over deep water. They could not go back, and they didn't want to fight, so after a short hesitation, one of them laid down and let the other goat go over him, and thus no harm was done. The moral, he would say, is easy. Be content if you're a person that must be walked over for peace's sake, your body, not your conscience, that is. The most disregarded scriptures in the Bible have to do with overlooking an insult, which we're called to do, covering over an offense, which we're called to do. Now, most of these are petty and things that don't require church discipline and black and white things in the scriptures, which is 90% of all our problems are petty, usually. When somebody looks at you funny, you know, to, to forget about it and to forgive and to want peace instead of bringing things up. He says, drop the matter before a fight breaks out. And so these are some of the things the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, you Corinthians, you're suing each other. Are you crazy? You're going to court over things. You're suing each other. He says, why not rather be wronged and enjoy the peace? God's wisdom says, do whatever you can to make peace without violating your conscience, without violating God's moral laws, obviously. It's not peace at any cost. Like, can't we all get along and lay down everything? No, of course not. But he's saying, as far as it depends on you, do you love peace or do you love to bicker? Do you always have to have the last word? He's saying a wise, peace-loving person doesn't care about having the last word. He's the goat that says, walk over. That's fine. I'll entrust myself to the Lord. Jesus lived that life. Jesus let people walk over him. Jesus let people kill him. When you're in God's will and you're honoring God and you're listening to his voice and you're not disobeying any moral laws, make peace. Lay it down. The Bible says you're the winner. You're the winner when you make peace and you lay it down. The other person thinks they just won. I mean, ask my wife. This happens all the time at home. She lets me think I've won. But seriously, she's won. You know, by you let the husband think, honey, this is all your idea. Thank you. <laughs> and it's actually, you know, wives know this stuff. They have a wisdom that comes from heaven. So we're willing to lay down our rights and let the other person win. And lastly, the wise person overflows with mercy. You know, Jesus says, don't expect to get any mercy if you're not willing to show it. Don't you dare expect to go have a lifetime of your sins washed away and then you give somebody, a fellow human being, a problem about uh, something they've offended you about and you're not going to extend mercy. But you do expect me to let you off the hook for a lifetime of sins. Now, they've sinned against you in a very small way compared to the way you sinned against me, God says. 
So don't even think that you're not going to be a merciful person. You need to err on the side of mercy. That's what wisdom's all about. These wise teachers were like, hey, you need to get straight A's and have your Christian life, you know, live up to the standards. They're not patient with the weak. You know, how many times a week do you have to make that same sin? Merciful. Jesus catches the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus has brought, rather, the woman who's caught in the act. And he finds a way to show her mercy. He says, you need to be like that. Merciful with people. That's what wisdom is all about. You know, there's a rainbow that appears, of course, after the flood And it's a sign of God's mercy to Noah and those who survived the flood. In Revelation 4, I was reading where the rainbow appears around the Lord's throne, which says this is a merciful place. Approach. I love the rainbow around God's throne. Is there a rainbow around your life? Or are you you just this Mr. Severe and no flexibility? Impatience, bar this high with husband, with wife, with kids, with people. Those kind of people, those wise people, they say, you know what? I expect a lot out of myself and I demand it of others as well. Jesus says, wisdom is merciful, full of mercy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. For your word that keeps us on the straight and narrow. It's so hard to see. We're surrounded by the world and the flesh and the devil and their way of thinking. So it's kind of hard. And it comes so natural to our own hearts. God, help us, Father, to avoid that kind of thinking and wisdom and uh, to open our hearts to the wisdom from above. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.